0: And today is August 25th, 2018. The sun has entered Virgo, so we're on a new archetype, sixth house ruled by Mercury that also rules Gemini. But in Virgo, it's discerning all that information. And what's really important, because there's many aspects about astrology, but today we're focusing on the routine, the daily routine. And my guest that I've invited today, Marilyn Milano, is one who understands pets. And I will present her wonderful qualifications. But pets, for their real domestication, which also involves Virgo, requires daily training. Today, in fact, I've discovered that and I wanted to share it. How can I make this useful? And it is so. I usually record this when you're listening to it on Saturday at six o'clock from Seattle, Washington at the radio station. And instead, we're pre recording. So my time element was totally shifted. Suddenly, half an hour before, I realized, whoops, I think I miscalculated the time. That is so evident with our daily routine. We get into a habit and it reinforces for positive reasons as well as the negative. But that aligns with the purpose of Virgo, which wants to perfect ourselves. We want to make those wonderful assets that we were so happy of exhibiting in our Leo sense of manifestation and legacy, getting ourselves prepared for the next event of meeting a person, the other, in the seventh house. And I'm speaking astrologically because the signs really relate from one sign to the next. So in Virgo, as we will be for this next four sessions of conversation, this is a show that involves conversation between myself and the guest. And for some, that they have certain expertise. It might be a little more on the interview process, but it is that discussion. And so our daily habits and our daily routine is much like emphasized of importance we have that choice how to organize which is again a Virgo trait without much more to do Marilyn Milano is also a host here she has her own show on 1150 KKNW which is a radio station AM radio station in Seattle Washington And the name of her program, which airs on Tuesday mornings from 9 to 9.30, is Love Has Many Faces. It's all about pets. Marilyn has had pets since two years old. In fact, she involves her time as a volunteer with the Seattle Shelter Pet Loss Department as a grief support volunteer. Marilyn's also a musician. She writes songs and performs many aspects that she involves her love of pets, as a matter of fact, because the show tonight is based on Virgo, and it's how pets give service daily of unconditional love. One comment also about Virgo is it's the opposite of Pisces, and as an access Although there are 12 signs in the horoscope, there are pairs of opposition, polarities that give strengths and weaknesses of each, and more than that, of a whole dimension. So in Virgo, is domesticating the wild, and Pisces is the wild, because Pisces is the collective all that that we are unable to control, like the weather, such as in Seattle with our smoke that's coming into the city, but waiting for the ocean winds to blow aside. But here in Virgo, we take pets, animals, and we domesticate them. So Marilyn Milano, hello, hello.
1: Hey, welcome. I'm so happy to be here.
0: It is a real treat. I've been wanting to work well, I don't know about work. This isn't work. This is play. And uh, but Virgo does remind me it is a lot of work, you know. <laughs> There's, with pets.
1: Yes, yes. I could about. I could tell you boring stories for hours about the work involved with pets, but the love far outweighs it. So,
0: isn't it true? And the unconditional love that animals give. And I know you've been had pets. I know since you were two. Yes. Yes. And so there must have been a huge attraction because a lot of people may be around pets, but it's not something that matters to
1: them. Right. And it's very interesting because I would say I was almost born with my love of pets. So uh, we got a dog when I was two years old. Sadly, he was stolen. But we had another dog at, when I was four who lived to a ripe old age. But even during that time as a child when I wasn't able to necessarily make you know cognitive decisions about loving pets or not, I remember that I slept in a bed with about 14 different stuffed animals. I had Sparibs, my little skinny dog. I had Morgan, this little kind of plushy white dog that squeaked. Um, I, and I've just always had a heart for them. I've loved. I love all animals. I have a soft spot in my heart for all of them. But just as we are attracted to certain people or or jobs, I think that we have like a heart connection sometimes with certain uh, certain animals. I know that my real soft spot and connection has been with dogs. And um, I particularly have a heart for the Spaniels, but like I said, I really haven't met a dog I haven't liked, it, unless it's a scary one. <laughs> but uh, um, yeah, I, I think it's just always been there.
0: It's interesting you say Spaniels. I was reflecting this week, which I do for each, of course, trying to fo- determine the subjects and the thoughts. But when I was a, starting school at five, which you go to kindergarten, and after the first day of being introduced from my mother's walking me there, I would walk to school. And every day, I think it was a spaniel, would come and gro- meet me at the corner and walk with me. I was oh. sure that this dog was like a guide yes. that was taking me to school. So and I felt so confident. One day, of course, the puppy wasn't there, which was, and I missed. But I always had an affinity, yes, yes.
1: Well, and it's Mm -hmm. interesting, too, because as as we're talking, and you know how one comment triggers another and so forth, I'm remembering that also as a child, there were some dogs that frightened me. So it's even more interesting that I have the love of animals I do today, but we lived up a a short hill um, in Redondo, Washington, uh, just uh, between Seattle and Tacoma. And so when I would walk down the hill, for instance, to the little library, which I loved to go to because I was an avid reader. I checked out every fairy tale book in the whole library. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, there would be two boxers down there that would bark. Now, they weren't mean and they didn't attack me, but they scared me because they'd stand there and bark and I would be nervous. And I also remember, interestingly enough, that my parents had friends that had a cocker spaniel that apparently was a nipper and that they'd brought the dog over one day. But they told me, don't pet the dog because the dog... Um, is testy, you know, or or, Mm -hmm. uh, snappish or whatever word they use. And so those things obviously did not dissuade me. I mean, I had dogs growing up until I left for college. When I got out of college, within a year or two, I had my own dogs. I've always had two or three. Um, Most of my dogs have been rescues, but not every single one of them. And I currently have three dogs, two of which are rescues. But it's always been a huge part of my heart and soul. I know that there are people that say that they love animals. But, for example, if they met someone, say, that they were dating and that person had an allergy or whatever, it wouldn't necessarily trouble them to not have animals in their lives. They would be okay and they'd move forward. I absolutely choose not to and don't think it would be possible for me to live without animals as a daily part of my life. They satisfy something. It's not a substitute for children or whether or not you have a husband or It's not a substitute. It is a part of my soul as much as music is, and it's something that only uh, being with my doggies and bonding with them uh, can satisfy, and I think it's just always been there. This is such an
0: important point. I too may have uh, misunderstood until you were mentioning this about the importance of just the experience of an animal versus other relationships because it's so easy to to consider well that's substituting like you say but yet no it to give that real credit and validity to that entire process it's a lot like a person that loves a garden if -hmm. you have a garden plants are going to provide you that nurturing that you don't necessarily get just from a painting or if you love painting you don't get that from just your plants. That's right. You know? That's right. So this is really, an idol of all of this, that we're speaking of, plants, yeah, animals. It's all good. <laughs> yeah, I do adore animals. In fact, sometimes I, I th- their rights to me are just
1: so critical. I mean, it's, um, it's something, and, and I mean, the routine, which we can talk about at some point if you want to. I mean, it does, it, it requires a commitment and mm. a lot of work. If you're a pet person, um, they, it's first of all, I mean, to me, obviously I'm, I'm biased, right? But they give me so much love and enjoyment and they make me laugh and smile every single day. And boy, sometimes these days with all that's going on in the world, it's hard to laugh or smile, but they never fail me. They may be a pain in the behind sometimes. <laughs> um, I've got little Tuxie, who is a stealth nibbler. I have had to be disciplined and learn my routine in terms of putting things out of his reach because he's not an avid, grabby chewer where you're going to be aware of it all the time. If you slip your shoes off while you're at the computer, you may be aware of a little noise down the road, and he may have chewed through your nice, um, expensive support shoe or something. I broke a toe earlier this year, and I had these um, Mephisto shoes. and They're not cheap, but they've got great support, and I realized I'd slipped one off, and it's like, oh, my gosh, Tuxie is nosing that. Unfortunately, I retrieved it in time. But so I mean, there is a routine. There are things you have to look out for. Um, there is obvious. There's the obvious stuff like pottying, you know, and feeding, and any medications they need, making sure they're taken care of. But some people just think, okay, I'm going to get a dog. I'm going to bring it into my house, I mean, and this would apply to a cat too, or whatever. I'm going to get a dog, bring it into my house, um, and it's all. It's going to automatically kind of know what to do. It will never chew. It will never piddle. Um, it will walk perfectly on a leash. It takes time. It takes investment. It takes discipline. I am not the world's most disciplined person. Um, I've had to learn to be disciplined, but, and I'm not like a super disciplined trainer. For example, my dogs are wonderful and loving and they know sit and they, you know, know th- to take their treats and so forth. But, you know, can they do like amazing things with my hand command or whatever? No, Um and there's also a balance there, too. And I'm rambling a little bit, but this no, just please, triggered a thought. Um, one time many, many years ago, I was walking uh, with a friend on a track at a high school just you know, to get some exercise. And we encountered a couple with a beautiful dog. And uh, I think his name was Mozart. It was a beautiful mm. standard white poodle. And the dog had the most incredible spirit. There was so much joy and energy and love and light uh, in this dog's eyes. And we commented on that. And the owner said, you know, we had him in some rigorous training, but we took him out of it. He's well-behaved. He's a loving dog. But for this dog, the actual rigorous training was breaking his spirit. And so I think every animal is unique, as people are. And there is a level of training to which we can go with some and with others. The method of training is important. But whatever we're doing, it's going to take discipline. It's going to take paying attention. You have to watch if you've got dogs or cats that so they don't get into things. It might mean dog-proofing or cat-proofing your house. And I've had people I know who have said, oh, you know, I'm going to get a dog. And then they, they babysat somebody's dog for a short time, and they just totally weren't prepared. And, and yet once you work in that routine, it's amazing and it's wonderful. And, and I work my life around it. And if I have to travel, there's people that can come and stay. But you do need to kind of be aware that you will alter your life. But to me, what they give me back personally is far beyond what I give to them. I mean, and, and even medicine has said, you know, there there's studies that show now that when you hold mm-hmm. a dog or a cat, the blood pressure can drop. Uh, the oxytocin, you know, the, the hormone that's the good hormone, the feel-good hormone, those levels go up. I always have said, if I didn't have animals in my life, I would probably be running around somewhere, like looking like a picture of Munch's "The Scream," you know, just <laughs> hollering or like out of control, just with angst. And um, so, yeah. So, I mean, that's that, that's just a little tip of the iceberg. But indeed, when you
0: speak of the fact of the personal uh, need for discipline and control, it reminds me very much of of of, of listening to another person, Danielle McKinney, who is uh, intuitive. And she learned through animals and that they have a soul contract with us, meaning that in any relationship and with animals, it requires a, a set of, uh, I'm trying to think of the word here, um, not characteristics, but but a, a relationship of, 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 of give and take. Mm-hmm. And yes, there is this unconditional love that a pet has along with their needs of protection and and aligning for the person. But yet it draws out of us that, that well, perhaps thinking of the fact that taking a dog on a walk, mm-hmm. you know, just that simple example mm-hmm. where a person gets exercise and mm-hmm. a lot of times people say I need a dog I need to give him a walk and then they both participate and but the other f- fact that I love that you mentioned is paying attention to the animal it's not one size fits all Mm-mm. for instance if you get a little dog that needs, What's that great dog that loves to run around so much? It's a Jack Russell Terrier. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> it's like of all the dogs. In fact, my husband always speaks of that, of wanting that dog, and I think, oh boy, that really—they're high energy. <laughs> yes, we need a little space for that, which we don't have. So, of course, is a—we both love animals, but so important. It's that detail, and again, this is a Virgo concept of. The details, you know, information, but it's pertaining to those details and organizing, figuring out, like in a day, how is one going to attend?
1: That's right. You're not totally free if you have an animal. More free with cats. I've never had cats, but I have friends that, that have. And I like cats, but I just don't have the desire to have them, like, with the dogs. So I'm a dog person. But I I have a love for cats, and mm. they're very dear, and I've met some that are very sweet. But, you know, it's just like... Some people like, even if you like a dog or a cat or both, there are types of pets that may be suited to you. And so it takes a little work sometimes to think and understand and to match what that right fit might be. And in the work I do in animal rescue, uh, talking with various groups on my own show over the past two years, making sure that you take the time to understand what this particular pet might need and what you might need, is important in ensuring a good match. And so if you, let's say that you really like to sit around and watch TV and munch Cheetos, and there's nothing wrong with that, but you're kind of a couch potato. You maybe have a busy work day <laughs> when you're off. You like to chill. And you think, okay, I need a dog, like a, I need an Irish Setter because they're active, and I'm going to take that dog running and everything. But that may or may not happen. It's sort of like if you try to choose a pet that you want to change a part of who you are, That might or might not be the point. If you're somebody who loves to snuggle on the couch, a Cavalier King Charles or like a a pug or something, I mean, you can research these animals and find out, but there are breeds that are more likely to want to sit and cuddle with you, and there are breeds that need to work and to use their intelligence, the Australian Shepherds, the Cattle Dogs, um, some of the working breeds, and they will get frustrated if they don't have that. So it's understanding your own lifestyle, asking You know, if I want to make a change, am I going to be disciplined enough to actually start going on walks and runs or taking the dog to the park? Or do I want to embrace who I am and where I am right now and find the dog that's going to need what I have and I have what that dog needs and making sure that that match is good? And then as that animal spends time with you, you learn and understand and communicate more.
0: In that sense, then, because I know you do the volunteer work for which is a whole area that I want to touch in on. Mm-hmm. But to help people, do humane societies or are there methods of, or, or departments that help people understand this? I know your show does, Love Has Many Faces, on Tuesdays, reminding people at 9 yes. o'clock on, yes. you know, listen up. <laughs> Please. Yeah, <yes. laughs> yeah. Um, which is fascinating. I mean Eleven fifty, KKMW has so many alternative talk on all these wonderful subjects. Yes, but still, how does a person get help that way?
1: Well, there are several things. I mean, first of all, now with the internet at our fingertips, it's easy. If you're if you haven't been a pet owner before, or maybe it's been your childhood since you've had a dog, but you want to bring one into your life, I would think in terms first of like what breeds are you attracted to? Just like we're attracted to certain kinds of people, I think people are attracted to certain kinds of dogs. I've always had an affinity for the retrievers and spaniels. But then go online and do some research about what these dogs need. Is this a high-energy dog? And and some common wisdom isn't necessarily intuitive. For example, like you mentioned the Jack Russell, not all small dogs are suited for apartments. Not all big dogs need to run all the time. So hmm. do your homework. Use that. Think in terms of what you're attracted to. And then, yes, most shelters, rescue groups, and humane groups do uh, try their best to make to, uh, sure oh, that they're good. suiting the animal to the I point. wondered. That's and helpful. Especially with dogs on the far end of being active. I mean, like if it's a strong dog. And the bigger and stronger and more strong-willed the dog is, the more you will have to be a disciplinarian, even in the kindest way, to have control so that the dog isn't running roughshod over people or knocking them over. And if you're a pansy like I am and, you know, like are always smooching your dogs and want to kiss on them and stuff, and maybe, maybe I don't have the strongest hand in terms of that, I know better. I'm not going to have an 80-pound dog. I'm not going to have a dog with a strong will. I'm going to have a dog with a lot of spunk and personality, but I've, I've chosen cockers because they fit that need that I have. And I've had mixed breeds as well. And, uh, and so it's like knowing that, going with your gut, yes, doing the research, absolutely. and then helping with the shelters. And
0: tux. Let's talk about tux because this really illustrates that here I was a rescue dog. And I've known various people and family members that have rescue dogs. And for the most part, it can be very positive. Some of them exhibit still a lot of issues. Yes. But in your case, it's a fascinating story and brings out that musicality, which is just so many elements here.
1: Well, Tuxie, at the time that I was introduced to Tuxie, it was 2012, and I already had two dogs. And two is a good number, but I've had three, and I'm comfortable with that. But at that time, I wasn't really looking for a third dog. And I got a call about Tux. And Tux was originally found, uh, he was living on the street with his owner Uh, The woman was apparently arrested for drugs, and Tux went into rescue. So his first year of life, he spent living on the street. He had an owner, but was probably a rough life. And during that time, he, I think, developed some fear of men. So he went to live with a very nice woman, um, and she really loved this dog, but she lived in a senior housing community. It wasn't like a... Uh, Seattle has many of them But there are communities Like uh, where they've got A a homeowner's association They're individual homes But they've got some rules Independent Right And so she had warned people You know Tux is a little nervous And he's afraid of men And so forth But apparently one guy Kind of kept getting down On his face And teasing him and stuff And Tux nipped him on the hand So in spite of everything she offered to try to do, the homeowners association would not even give her a second chance. They told her you have to get rid of him. So she called her rescue gal, which happened to be someone who had placed another dog with me. And I get this call, you know, such and such has happened, and Tux's current owner would love to know if you would be willing to foster him till we can place him. And here's the story. He'd nipped someone. Well, I've never had a nipper, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I don't think I'm equipped for this. You know, as I said, I'm a little bit of a pushover pansy type with the dogs. And she says, no, no, he's really not a nipper. And I thought, well, I've heard this before. But anyway, I dragged my feet, right, because I was nervous. I thought this is going to be out of my bailiwick here. Dragged my feet, but I said, okay. And the the reason I said, okay, is because this other person was in dire need about losing this dog. She loved him. She wanted him to go to somebody that she knew of. She knew of me, but she didn't really know me. And I thought, okay, I I can go outside my comfort zone to help this woman feel better. And I'll take tux for a little bit. And I'm sure he's a cute little guy. He's only two years old. He's going to get adopted quickly. So I finally picked him up. Um, He was fine, but he was a little nervous. If you dropped a pan or something, he'd run um, I would not, I would pat him on the head and go, good boy, good boy, and kind of like not get right down on his face like I do. And this went on for a little while. And um, so then it's like about two, three weeks later, I had uh, someone ask me, well, now when are you going to be putting him uh, up for adoption on Pet Finder? And it struck me at that point that I really loved the little guy. And I just said, you know, I don't think he's going anywhere. I love him. And that's what. You know, it it struck me that I totally love this little dog. And um, so over the course, without getting too long-winded, over the course Mm -hmm. of time, um, I just started spending more and more time with him. And his personality started coming out. And he Mm -hmm. learned to trust me. And as he learned to trust me, I learned that I could put my face down in his face. And he was not going to take a nip at me at all. I will say on the leash, he still sounds like Cujo sometimes. He will bark at men and bark at other dogs. And so I walk him by himself He's never nipped at anyone. He's never bitten anyone. If people come in the house, he's fine. But he's got a little bit of that street um, awareness, that street anxiety. But the funniest thing is, in the last year, um, because just of bonding with him, taking him to agility training to get him closer to me so that we could um, do some things together and help him overcome his fear— Like at Agility, when we first started, he was afraid to even put his foot on the ramp or go into the tunnel. And after several, Mm. he's never going to compete, but after several sessions, he loved it. So I kind of by accident started singing to him one day. I I like to write fractured lyrics in my time because my creativity has to go somewhere when there's no outlet for it. And I started writing lyrics for him, and I wrote lyrics to the song Rocket Man by Elton John, but I called them Muppet Man because he <laughs> looks like a Muppet when he smiles, okay? So I would sing, Muppet Man, you know, and we'd do this little thing, and he started singing along. And so I thought, is this a coincidence? Is it because it hurts his ears? What is it? And um, uh, no, he, he knew it was his song. And he, um, whenever I would sing Muppet Man to him, he would kind of, (laughs) and so he would come in the computer room, jump up in my lap, want me to pet him, and I'd sing Muppet Man and he'd yowl. Now it's at the point where even if he's laying down and resting, if I just look over at him and go, Muppet, Muppet Man, and he's, (sighs) he knows, he knows that's his song. (laughs) I was learning another song for a performance and he didn't like it. He barked at me. He'd already gone potty. He'd already eaten. It wasn't about that. He barked at me because he didn't like the song I was singing. And I looked at him. What a critic. Him, I said, <laughs> you want Muppet Man, don't you? So I guess the point of it all is here was a dog I was really leery about taking. I fell in love with Tux over time. I mean, I knew I was going to keep him, but I totally bonded with this dog. He's bonded with me. He's unique from any of the others, as all of them are, and um, He makes me so happy. He makes me smile. When I share his singing videos with other animal people who are as big of saps as I am, um, they say it makes them cry and laugh at the same time because it's so cute. And he's just like, he is so happy and loved. And um, and yet it took time and persistence and patience. And again, each one is an individual. Each one has different needs. My other dogs don't sing with me, but they do other things, you know. And, and understanding that they're unique. And if you lose one, you're not going to replace that and bring a clone in. So, it, it,
0: yeah, there's a lot there. Marilyn, this speaks all. The persistence is such such a huge element. We're going to be leaving in a moment. But I wanted to say, too, the humor that animals provide. I know, like a little kitty cat, I remember we were raised with them. And they, the little things, when they're really young, they yes. jump up straight up. Straight up. And defying all of Gravity and I thought animals give us this pleasure, this love that, 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 that it's it expressed in humor and we yes. need it. Well, we'll be back in a moment. And thank you everybody. Eleven fifty KKNW talk cosmos. take a break from this week's edition of Talk Cosmos, let's take a look at this cycle's archetype. We are currently in the yin period of Virgo. By leaving a cycle based on the creative manifested legacy of our highest creative form, the energy of Virgo completes the last sign below the horizon of the self and requires discernment to perfect oneself through the mental process of critical analysis. As a mutable earth sign duly ruled by Mercury, Virgo refines heals or fixes through daily routines developing skills and services to control nature's chaos and maximize efficiency.
1: Hi, this is John Luke. I'm an evolutionary astrologer and you're listening to Talk Cosmos on Alternative Talk 1150 AM where we discuss the meaningfulness of our roots in the stars and planets.
0: Again, Marilyn, we're back, and you know we were speaking so much of the persistence, the responsibility, the care of the unique relationship, of of many Virgo traits of discernment, of routine, of daily Mm -hmm. uh, work to to train. Really, Mm -hmm. well, there's other areas. Well, there's a couple of areas I'm that pets really involved, and, well, territory. But more than that, I think, is the grief. You know, one loses pets. I know that you're with the training, not training, the volunteer work. um, And how do people, some people want to jump right back and get a pet, and some people, how does that work as in many regards, I guess one is as a department for anybody that has lost a pet, they can go to that department.
1: Yes, so for example, so I Seattle Animal Shelter, I know Seattle Humane has a group like this as well. I actually went there when I lost a pet back in the 90s and I think their group meets on Saturday mornings. Uh, Seattle Animal Shelter, which is in Inner Bay down on 15th. Um, we have this pet loss support group every Thursday and it's free. And uh, the actual group meeting starts at uh, 5.30, and we end just a little bit before 7. So anyone can come. And if you think you're in the process where your pet is ill, I mean, you can come beforehand. You can come after. We've had people who've come to the meetings every week for six months. We've had people who've come once. But you're right. Just as grief is individual, each loss is different. Each loss is individual. So... I have lost eight pets in my adult life. Each one was devastating. Each one, you know, put me into deep grief. I'm a hard griever. I will lay on the floor by the water bowl and wail. You know, I'll carry around the stuffed dog in my pajamas for two days, you know, like holding onto the little stuffed animal for it's comfort. Deep. Um, the good thing about that is that when I'm healed, the healing is complete, but not everyone's like that. Some people are afraid of those feelings. They try to keep super busy. Um, Some people don't have people to talk to. Uh, That's part of what the group is for. Some people come with their spouse or partner. Some people say they don't have anyone to communicate with. But anyone can come to this group. And basically the idea is to share your story about your animal, to hear other people's stories, because we learn from other people's experiences. In losing a pet, we have noted that there are some things that most people talk about. There's guilt. Did I wait too long to, to euthanize my dog? Um, if I'd been home, would the dog have gotten into the plant? You know, did I put the dog down too soon? Uh, did I? Did he know I loved him? I mean, uh, it's all of those things. In a sudden loss, it's very hard. So how people process that is different. And we try not to be judgmental or to tell people how to process, but we give materials. There are chat rooms. There are hotlines. There's reading material. And as far as um, getting a pet afterward, my MO has always been to wait no longer Then maybe a a couple of months. But I've generally started looking right away. And it's never been that, oh, uh, Glory died. I'm going to replace Glory. It's been more that even though I might have another dog or two, that unique love now has nowhere to go. There's a hole. And there are so many animals that need homes. There are so many pets that just, that that they're put down across the country simply because they have nowhere to go. So my thought is always, okay, there's love to go somewhere. There's an animal that needs me. And generally, there is an intuitive way that that comes about. You might reach out to a rescue, and there might be one. You might see one online. Um, When my last dog, Shelby, passed away, it was particularly painful, and this was in 2014, because she'd had cancer. It had been a long treatment. I loved that dog so much, like all of them. And it it was hard because the last couple days of her life, she was in the hospital and in the oxygen tent and so forth. So I grieved really hard. I had Tuxi and Lola still. And But I knew I'd have another dog, but I thought it's probably going to be three or four months. I just really need to get through this. So she died in August, and in October, I started thinking, I'm I'm finally ready. You know, I'm ready to look. And so I thought, I'll go online and start looking. Well, I had no more, like, had this thought than it's like the next day, practically. I got a call from someone who knew someone, and there's a dog we want you to meet. And I met her, and I fell in love with her, and I took my dogs to meet her, and they fell in love with her. And so Betsy is now with us and she's been with me for four years. She's eight years old. I got her when she was four. And she is the perfect complement to this pack. And, um, but other people wait a year, um, you know, or two. Now some people will say, okay, I will never do it again because the pain is so intense, I don't ever want to feel it again. And that is a person's right and privilege. But my feeling is, first of all, they bring us so much love and enjoyment. Do we really want to flatline through life and avoid the pleasure just to avoid feeling the pain?
0: It really is a question. I had not been a dog person until, now with that said, when I was a baby, I guess I chewed on the dog, Watson's foot, and Watson chewed on my foot. Oh, boy. <laughs> so I learned, and I loved Watson. He, But later, as an adult, much later, I cared for my father with my husband for about three and a half years, Who, and Dad had a dog, and when Dad died, we loved this dog, Abby, and we cared for Abby well when the house sold fortunately and I went down to go prepare it for sale or not for sale but yeah because it had sold and this was out of state we brought the dog who was 14 and a half years old by that time and Abby was so happy it could hardly get well I'll back up could hardly get out of the car we had to kind of lift and get her back in we drove down and, but when she returned to this little town, Santa Paula, California, there were other people that walked around the little community. Mm-hmm. And Abby, you could just see her park up her body and waggle and wiggle and just so energized. She knew home. She knew her friends. Well, this is all within a week because I was there for some time mm-hmm. selling and preparing this home. Mm-hmm. But suddenly when we came home one afternoon, a few days later, we couldn't find Abby, and she was in the brush. There was a good an acre of property with a lot of garden mm-hmm. and, and area, mm-hmm. and she couldn't move. Oh, so we, my husband, picked her up, and we brought her back to the veranda. It was a large, huge hacienda type porch, ten foot porch, covered in. Set her right next to where our bedroom was, and we realized that she. It was the end of her life. Mm-hmm. So we made the hard decision to find somebody to come mm-hmm. and, and give her an injection. Mm-hmm. Well, in the meantime, my husband had laid down with this dog in the daytime, which I had noticed, at this dog, Abby. But the point was at night, suddenly she yelped this horrible sound. So I leaped out there and laid down with her. And it really is true that the The feeling that I experienced this tremendous unity of spirit, mm-hmm. this between us, was the most calm, meditative feeling that I've ever. I still treasure that that feeling, mm-hmm. you know. And it, and it. So when you think the long story of how to go from this ending, because a, an animal can really put a place now I'm a dog person it's like I totally understand yeah you know and I don't have one in my life every dog I'm the biggest ant boy I love that little dog you know but there's
1: always fostering yes we need
0: people exactly and and the grief aspect because I'm thinking here I had not figured out but it's very true with Virgo Grief. There's a mythology of Ceres. Are mm-hmm. you familiar with Ceres and Persephone?
1: I've I've read all those stories in the past, but you would have to you would have to refresh yes. to my memory. Where the mother Ceres loses her daughter
0: Persephone to Hades, mm-hmm. Pluto, on mm-hmm. the underworld, mm-hmm. and of course the vegetation stops for half a year in her grief. This tremendous, undying grief, mm-hmm. which really is what the loss of an animal that you've brought into your heart with this unconditional love. Yes. You know, the lack of, here it was the lack of fertility. And so then Persephone who eats who becomes the queen of the underworld but returns. And of course this is mythology which is wonderful. I love the the metaphors mm-hmm. of and the and the truism of it. But in this sense really what a, the the truth of a animal the grief like the
1: yes. It's, it, it can be devastating. Um, again, having done this for 12 years now as a volunteer, I've talked to a lot of people. So from all walks of life and in different situations. One of the common threads is that losing the animal was more painful than, insert here, mother, brother, best friend, whatever. And they feel guilty about that. Mm but the reason that that is the case is that that animal is part of the fabric of your life every day it's walking the dog it's giving an or cat and again you can substitute any animal here but dogs are my reference um walking feeding you know the funny things they do sleeping on the bed with you getting up on the couch with the day at eight your shoe whatever it's part of your everyday life and routine and when that changes It is devastating, and it is very intense, and you really feel that, and thus the feeling of a greater loss or a more uh, severe impact. And that is why many people say that that grief is worse. So is it hard? Yes. I've done it eight times. Did it help that I had done all this grief support work in terms of how I felt about the last one? No. Well, it helped intellectually because I knew how I was going to feel, and I knew that eventually I would come through it. But during the time, the grief was as, as hard, as intense. I wept. I mean, I was in terrible shape. But it was helpful to know that I would come out the other end of it. And it was also helpful to know that I was going to bring another animal into my life. And I can still see pictures of dogs that I had in the 80s or 90s. And if the circumstance is correct, it can make me cry for them. But it's no longer the deep grief. It's the grief that's kind of in your heart and it can be awoken at some time, but it's not there every day. And I mean, I would just say that it's like it's like people who say, well, I'll never marry again because my husband Mm -hmm. or my wife was a jerk or I'll I'll never, um, you know, I will never put myself out and give a speech because somebody booed or whatever. So it's like if the pain is greater than the desire to connect That's up to each individual person. I just know my life would be empty without animals. And so you take on, it's like what you sign on for, you know, and there's no guarantees. I mean, you can get a young dog, it it could pass away suddenly. You could get an older dog you think has a year or two left, they could surprise you. But it's like knowing that that animal is here and giving them the best that you have and, and making the space for them. And then when that animal passes on, if there is love that can go somewhere, I've always looked at it like the love has to go somewhere, And the love for Lola is different from the love for Tuxie, which is different from the love for Betsy. So nobody replaces anybody. But as the old adage that I've seen on Facebook goes, if you've loved many dogs, you must have a very big heart. Because loving one animal doesn't, you know, take away from loving another. And loving animals doesn't mean you don't like people. No, pet people are not—they don't hate people or they don't dislike children. Some of the craziest animal people I know have kids and spouses— and so, no, it's not that you're the crazy dog or yes. cat lady. Maybe a few of you are. Yeah. <laughs> I joke about being one, but I'm actually very, um, I'm very mainstream. So, yeah, I, I don't know. To me, it's important, and it's a tough process. But, um, well, the infiniteness of
0: love. There you go. The especially unconditional love, which is, well, when I think of unconditional, I suppose pets really they still have their requirements because. You know they they want their treats they want their exercise yes. they need their their treatment yes and they and they're very protective that's a whole other element and I'm, but trust that's another huge part I'm I'm thinking of that the intellectual I'm bringing in the the astrology of it mm-hmm. because uh, Virgo which is ruled by Mercury which is an intellectual sign mm-hmm. it does help just knowing you know trusting which is trust is not part of that's more scorpion
1: well you it, there's the trust of um knowing that you can get through your grief and there's the trust of knowing that you're capable but
0: of the, the intellectual man. helps with that yes, absolutely it yes. does
1: by knowing intellectually that even though i felt like i had been run over by a semi truck mm-hmm. intellectually knowing that i would get through it and as i said there's no been, energy right. right and there was a man that came to our group every week for 6 months and it's finally i remember one day he came in and he said I laughed at a joke today, but I felt guilty because my cat is dead. It was like six months ago, but that was when we knew he was starting to heal. And eventually he volunteered with our group for like a year or more, and then he moved uh, to eastern Washington, so it it didn't work out. But he was a great contributor, and his experience helped make him a very good volunteer. And many people find that that helps too. They go through that, and then they can share with others. It is the basis. That's right. And someone asked me once, isn't it like the saddest thing ever? And I'm a big sap. I cry about people I've never met, dogs I've never met. I mean, I can get bogged down in it because I can just sit there and, and weep because, I mean, I feel this stuff. But um, the the point is, no, it's not the saddest thing because even though I might cry with these people, I feel like, number one, I'm giving them hope that they can love again. I'm helping them understand that they're not alone by being there as a volunteer and, and having them share these other stories. And so, um, yeah, that that's part of it the grief process of um, kubler
0: Ross with yes. the eight steps and the whole experience of loving letting go and that acceptance to love again of trusting the universe i keep thinking so much astrologically of how all the water signs you know the the processing of cancer that is so personal mm-hmm. that needs that own timing then the the uncondition you know with well with Pisces that we won't go into all that what about territory you know animals especially dogs and cats i mean one reason people have cats is in order to because of the great hunting mm-hmm. and to try to keep the other wild cats like over in hawaii you know the feral cats they keep out if you have certain domesticated pets that patrol that area mm-hmm. and i was a part-time uh, post person you know postal service person mm-hmm. one couple summers and one I delivered during the the season the summer season which is a tough business because you're constantly on a new route all the time oh boy but every property I had not realized not having ever walked up to their house had a dog oh, my inside gosh. oh bark 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 right it was and a bit disturbing <laughs> it is
1: now again you're right they're, they're territorial and that their instincts are to protect um some dogs are great barkers, but if anyone actually broke into the house, they would lick them to death. You know, I mean, they're not good. Other dogs, if somebody sets foot inside and they feel that their owner is threatened, they're going to be forced to be reckoned with. But they're barking to alert us. They're actually doing their job. Um, of course, that's where the training and the discipline come in. You want to work with your pet so that it's not incessantly barking and the neighbors don't, you know, all petition you to move out of the community. Um, so you want to make sure that there is some... Um, some control and some discipline and if you ask your dog to stop barking or have ways to divert him or her that those work but that territorial it's instinctual um and, and i love it i love the fact that if i hear tuxie barking i know that there might be somebody you know coming around or somebody's at the door they've even barked when my timer's gone off on my oven because when you're upstairs you don't hear it and so the dog will be very persistent in barking and letting me know that but um and then in some cases, dogs are territorial on the leash, like Tuck's. I mean, he does not want people to come up to him if you're on the leash unless he knows you, but he's fine once you're in the home. Other dogs, their boundaries are soft. They're like, okay, I just want to pet you, and I want you to be my new best friend. Um, and then they can be territorial within the home. Um, you know how, how, like, joke about a couple, and the man has his man cave, you know, and then the woman's like, uh, you know, nobody come into my painting room or whatever it is. And um, they can get that way with the toys. Some are more territorial about food, some about toys. But I, I think what I would stress is there is individual as people, and we start to learn, you know, what's the trigger? What, what makes this dog feel threatened? Um, what makes this dog want to guard? Um, and, again, it's when they start doing that behavior, how much of it is productive, and at what point do we need to kind of step in and make sure and they're not out of control?
0: So this leads me to think about a couple of things. One is... Relating to the owner themselves, that possibly maybe the person themselves doesn't have a lot of boundaries. Could Um, be, you know. I'm wondering because pets are that dimension of of ourself that you know a relationship complements what we don't have or helps define. I mean, the seventh house is actually in that sense, but relationships and also in the training process. I guess we haven't. Um, it takes persistence. and I know that love is really the rule, isn't it, rather than the fear?
1: Right. And I mean, I am not the expert in training, but I've had I've gone through some dog trainings, uh, like some classes and I've, I've read up on some things and there are varying schools of thought, but more and more and more uh, reward uh, and uh, reinforcement. Is considered to be the best. I mean, there are some dogs that may be stronger will that may have some, some things that need to be kind of trained out of them if they've had a bad start. But my feeling is that it should never be training based on fear and, and there should never be any abuse of the animal at all. And that reinforcement and reward and... Um, you shared the story of the otter with me earlier about the respiratory. Uh, oh, yes. And that was reinforcing. They, t- they taught an otter how to use a respiratory uh, device. Here in Seattle. Yeah, yes. because of the smoke. And it was reinforcing and repetition. Had yes. That's Yes. See, they can have ailments just like us. But I believe that when the animal and you have the bond and they want to please you, they will do things. And um, there are various schools of training, but I always believe in love over fear
0: illness now suddenly that triggered another aspect of virgo because this is basically all threading it's not well rather it is i mean i'm just trying to figure out how to explain uh, the astrological or give reference because life is a reference that's as below as below as above as below as below as, below, as above you know the hermetic philosophy the ancients and in this case health is a big factor of virgo it is the correction of because it is taking the nature and nature does fall apart as we know the trees drop their leaves Uh they decay there's Uh you could call that illness but the same as in a body or same as any energy and it's all energy so therefore when it comes to an animal and like this otter that had asthma. It was the youngest. It had been a rescue animal. Mm-hmm. had been caught in a net mm-hmm. here in Seattle and and was brought in. And it took a month of persistence, this mm-hmm. article said. Mm-hmm. Yes, and now it can breathe in and take the medication. That's, that's
1: great. I love that.
0: Yeah, and so I hadn't realized this element of pets because they do get infirmed. I know that Abby had... Uh, difficulty walking, you know, Labradors yes. have that.
1: They can get actually. They, she
0: wasn't a Labrador, but
1: go ahead. But they, well, they kept get the dysplasia, or arthritis, or various yes. things. Yes, yeah, yeah. So yes, pets do become ill, um, and there. Then again, there's the the need. We had a person yesterday talking about how they had to give the subcutaneous fluids to their dog uh, in the last days, and I've done that twice with animals, and it can be hard. Um, I just never wanted to put the needle in because I never wanted to hurt the dog. So, in one case, the dog tolerated it. In one case, I couldn't bear to do it because I just felt the dog was fragile. So, I took it into the vet every time and watched the bill get huge. But it's like yeah. their needs before mine. And, and that's what we did. But, um, uh, and yet, when we're not feeling well, they're there to comfort us. They know when we don't feel they well. Absolutely do. And I, so think they I think they help us heal. I think we have less illness when we have pets. I really do. This is a subject to continue on.
0: Uh, Yes, indeed, because healing, again, is the opposite of illness, and it's all sixth house. It is. It gets in with the loss of going back to Ceres, that's C-E-R-E-S, for any of you out there that don't know of the mythology. And it is that nourishment, ultimately the nourishment that we give ourselves, that we claim, reclaim. And for healing, for instance, animals that are brought to these, well, not to call them retirement homes, but uh, assisted living yes, houses. Yes, I was in Kona. I saw a little article about a dog named Lucky that was brought to home so that people could pet it. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking if that could only happen more often.
1: Yes, because what happens with people who, and this happened within some of the aid's treatment centers as well. Sometimes these people have no one left. Um, they don't get hugs. They don't have any touch anymore. And it's like failure to thrive. You hear what happens to babies or like the baby chimps or whatever. Mm. And so by being able to give and receive love and be able to pet an animal and to have that that bond and communication, it is healing. You hear stories of people who haven't spoken that suddenly start communicating again, or maybe someone with Alzheimer's mm. who suddenly kind of perks up and there's just so much that goes on. It's the love, it's the trust, it's the healing. Um, to me, it's just a wonderful dimension of our lives. And I don't understand how people who don't love animals and experience them can live without them, but not everybody's in the same, um, in, you know, not everybody's of the same mind. But I just know in my life, I think I was probably born with that love and connection. And it's been with me all my life and um, uh feel well, very deeply. There are
0: uh, opportunities for people to go to whether it's a humane society or any shelter and be a- almost like a volunteer that walks these animals. Yes. yes. Th- there's great need, just like there's uh, in hospitals people that can hold babies. Mm-hmm. So, in other words, because I know for myself, it does take that commitment, that, as yes. we've said, the persistence of, 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 being there so if you travel that is an issue but on the other hand a person can be a volunteer like
1: that. and you know what you bring up is perfect as we talk about this in our in our grief support group if your lifestyle is such that for whatever reason you cannot commit to having an animal full time maybe it's your living situation maybe it's financial maybe it's your travel whatever it is or maybe you've just been through it a few times and right now you can't do it there is a huge need for volunteers um they All kinds of talents, walking the dogs, petting the cats, Um, you know, contact the shelters or the rescue groups near you to find out what they need. Because guaranteed, pretty much, they can use one of the talents that you have, whether it's posting things on the Internet or literally interacting with the animals. But for those that miss the presence of an animal in their lives but can't adopt right now, you can volunteer. You can walk dogs. There's need for foster homes. Usually the fosters, you know, might be two weeks to a month or two. But this is the transition where that dog may, or cat may need to be in a home before the forever home comes up. And so if you know you're going to be traveling six months of the year, but from January to June you're local, oh, be perfect. you know, it's great. You're helping someone, but you don't have to worry about the full-time commitment, but you're still giving back and enjoying that love and knowing you're doing a good deed and helping an animal. So I am totally an advocate for if this is something that resonates. There is huge need. Every group I talk to needs fosters and volunteers. So check them out.
0: Oh, thank you, Marilyn. This has been a wonderful conversation. I'm so glad. And for the audience there, this is Talk Cosmos. And today's guest, Marilyn Milano of Love Has Many Faces, a wonderful pet uh, program that's on it. Tuesdays from 9 to 9.30 on our same radio station. is an AM radio station, 1150 KKNW. There is a listen button for those Seattleites. You can always get your app. And for those out of the state that do and have missed other programs, go to Talk Cosmos. Past episodes has lots of archives. And next week, we have an astrologer, Sarah Stromley she does cranial sacral medical work and makes flower tinctures and heals on many elements and is an astrologer herself so we'll continue as we will for several weeks talking about virgo the many dimensions of our healing that has been represented through this great love of pets So, Marilyn, we have about 10 seconds. You can say something before we sign off.
1: Okay, I would just say if you're really interested in learning more about the show, you can check out my Facebook page. It's called Love Has Many Faces on 1150 KKNW, and I just want to thank Sue for having me here today. Oh,
0: what a delight. I'm just so thrilled. I connect this whole aspect of pets, persistence, love, grief, and love beyond. There's no end. (laughs) Thank Thank you. All right.